Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for um, uh, an opportunity, Lord, a space, a place where we can come uh, and worship, where we can be free, Lord, to sing of uh, to sing of your glory, to sing of your promises, Lord. And uh, it does seem like so much of life is holding on to what we believe, even when we can't see it, even when uh, we can't feel it, even when we're having trouble believing it, Lord. We hold on to the promise, Lord, that you indeed are the way maker. You are the miracle worker, the promise-keeping God in our lives. Uh, Father, may that be uh, a truth that is written firmly on the, the tablets of our hearts this morning. Lord, pray uh, that your word would go out this morning in a way that glorifies you and your word, not the speaker or the hearer. Lord, would we be transformed by your word this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so uh, the last the last month or so in in January, you know, we've been um, kind of revisiting, resetting, rebooting, reorienting, however you want to put it, reorienting our uh, corporate life to the north star of Conduit's vision, uh, mission, and core values. And uh, it's always important that certainly in your personal life in our corporate life, my personal life, that we remain fixated on a North Star of sorts. Right? A, a thing uh, that does not move, a thing that does not change, a thing that we keep our focus and our gaze fixed upon. Um, it, it leads us to the place of promise, similar to the way that the North Star led the wise men uh, to the place of their Savior, Jesus. And so we have been taking a, a few weeks to look at what our core values here um, at Conduit are. And we have five main core values. And if you didn't get an opportunity to be a part of any of those uh, services in the last month, I'd encourage you to get on our website or download the Conduit Ministries app on your smartphone and listen, uh, take a listen to those services, especially if you're trying to get a handle or a hold on, all right, what, what is Conduit all about? Like, who is it? What is it? Why do they do the things that they do? Believe the things that they believe? Say the things that they say? Um, there are, out of necessity, a few parts of the mission, vision, core values, overall cultural DNA of Conduit that we haven't delved very deep in in the last month. Um, simply not because it's not important, um, but because there's a lot of it there, right? And it's for the most part um, review, or just like I said, a reset or a reboot. I want to talk this morning, though, about a portion of our kind of like overall cultural DNA that we haven't talked much about yet. Um, we're going to talk about the vision of, uh, of Conduit. And whenever we talk about whenever we talk about vision, there's always this sense of like, um, you know, what is really the difference between a vision and a mission statement and the core values? And it, it kind of seems like you could just throw all of those things in a blender and turn it on, and what you would get would basically be all of the same thing. And I don't really disagree with that. So understand that in some cases we're making distinctions where there isn't a whole lot of differences. However, it is, um, there, is a certain, like, there is a certain value in us um, taking a specific look at these, um, I guess you would call them topics, vision, mission, core values, for what they bring to the conversation and what they teach us about the heart of God and also about the direction and ministry of Conduit. So, um, Conduit's vision, and we'll go over what vision here is in a moment, I want to give you the the, um, I'm going to put the cart before the horse here. Uh, Conduit's vision is to bring wholeness, or to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, in our churches, and in our cities. To bring wholeness, to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, our churches, and our cities. And that has five main qualifiers to it. 
when we talk about seeing wholeness and redemption in our, in our homes, churches, and cities, what, what we mean is seeing a, a broad-based healing and restoration in families in general. Um, as the, the, the breakdown of society and the breakdown of family has occurred, we envision and pray towards and work towards the, uh, the healing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to begin to heal broken relationships within families. Uh, to see a unified awakening in the body of Christ where um, Christians of all shapes, colors, sizes, locations, all those who call on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all those who believe by uh, who believe in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that they would be united in heart, in mission, and ministry, right? To see the gospel of Jesus transform the communities around them. So we envision a, a time and a place where uh, that, will be, that will be true. Uh, to see socioeconomic uh, revival, to see, a, um, to see that... Um, the power of redemption and wholeness to the gospel of Jesus Christ touches not just the things that we normally consider to be spiritual things, right? Because we believe, because if we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change everything, then what we mean by everything is that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change everything, right? And that, and that the principles of the gospel don't just apply to the things that we typically consider to be the most spiritual things, but also things like socioeconomic realities, right? To see a release from the bondage of mental illness and substance abuse, particularly in um, Chautauqua County, and to see the peace of Christ reign over environments or cultures of hostility and violence. So these are like big, right? Big things. Um, these are not necessarily like, all right, what is our, what is our um, to-do list for today? Well, today we're going to deal with the power uh, or, or the, with the bondage of mental illness and substance abuse, and then tomorrow we'll deal with the next one because we intend to fix that in a day. Listen, we understand that, okay? Um, so I want to talk a little bit about what vision is. Tie that into um, Conduit's vision here, right? And to uh, why uh, we believe that, um, that the gospel addresses these things and that they were important to Jesus, okay? And anything that's important to Jesus is going to be important to who? You and me, right? Because our number one core value here is that Jesus is everything and the gospel changes it all. And so if it's important to Jesus, it's going to be important to us uh, a vision, when you have a vision, a vision, um, in our understanding at least, is nothing more than, nothing less than the, the picture of the preferred future. So if you were to sit down and say, okay, if you could paint a picture of the most preferred future, your home, of churches, of cities, what would be that picture? How would you imagine the, the preferred picture, the ideal status, the ideal reality? What would that look like? How, how would you even begin to imagine something like that. And we've sat down, leaders here, staff here, and we've asked that question of ourselves a lot. What is the, what is the, what is the, like the God, what is the God picture of our homes? What is the God picture of our church? What is the God picture of the city of Jamestown? It can be kind of a daunting question even to ask. And so we began to maybe ask ourselves some more I guess you would call them biblical questions. Um, you see, when the disciples, they came to Jesus, and after seeing the example of his life, 
they asked him, um, they asked him a question in Matthew chapter 6. They said, uh, Lord, um, don't teach us how to raise the dead. Don't teach us how to heal the sick. Don't te- teach us how to, um, how, to, how to cast out the demons. Don't teach us how to turn water into wine. Lord, teach us what? Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray, Lord. That's what they wanted from Jesus. And, um, and so he taught them how to pray. And what he used to teach them how to pray in Matthew chapter 6 was something that we've come to call the Lord's Prayer. Right? And um, most people know the Lord's Prayer, can recite the Lord's Prayer. And that's both an awesome thing, but it's also a troubling thing because as, as, as we use something just in like memorization and uh, recitation, we often forget what we are praying for, right? We don't, we're, not, we're not injecting our prayer with the, with the heart and faith of a child because we're so used to just saying it, right? That it, it's no longer taking root as a spiritual practice in our heart. But if you, if you pray the Lord's Prayer, there are some really like prophetic actions of prayer that we are asking the Lord, right, to make a reality in the place that we live. Because Jesus teaches the disciples to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, we have it here. Our Father in heaven. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's my question, right? What would happen if the Lord's Prayer happened? What would happen if it happened? When you ask the question of, like, what is the vision of the preferred future? Like, well... What if that like line that we always pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what if that stuff happened? What would your would your home look the same? Would your church look the same? Would your city look the same? Would you look the same if everything that's happening in heaven would be happening right here now in this place. If everything that goes on in heaven would be going on in Jamestown. If everything that goes on in heaven would be going on in our churches. If his kingdom came and his will was done in this place as it is in heaven, what would that look like? We believe that it would look like the healing and restoration of families. We believe that it would look like a unified awakening in the body of Christ, a socioeconomic revival, the release from bondage from people's mental illness, addiction, for the peace of Christ to rule over places where we've only seen violence, where we've only seen hostility, and a million more things. We believe in a heavenly reality. That is a vision of the preferred future for us. And, and the church, are you listening? The church and Christians, we should be the activators of heaven's reality here on earth. We, we should be the ones that, that activate a heavenly reality in the places where we stand, in the places where we sit, in all the the relationships that we have. The vision of heaven is activated on earth through the witness of Christians and the ministry of the church. See, the the reality is is that we, we, the church... The church often, the church as a whole, 
often comes to a place of, um, you know, working really hard to develop a, a really, like, catchy vision statement, mission statement. Um, you know, like, man, we got we to gotta make it, like, catch the eye, and we got to make sure that it's really unique, and we got to, it has to be, it has to be trendy, right? And I, I, I get all, like, maybe making a fresh spin on it, making it unique, making it, you know, applicable um, to us, but we often, we, we often, un, um, in an unholy way, we tend to own, we tend to become the, the purveyors of what it is that God wants to get done, right? So, so we have a vision, a mission statement, some core values, and then we, we develop it really, really um, diligently, and then we, we set it down on the table and we say, Lord, please bless this. Please make this happen. Please make this work. Please make us, please make us successful in it. It's like, it's like that we have a God for our mission statement. We have a God for our vision. We have a God for our core values where actually like we, we, need to, we need to be creating a culture where the opposite is actually true, like where, where God has a vision, right? A heavenly reality, right? And, and instead, of, instead of like, instead of us determining what the reality and the vision and the future should be, God has said, uh, it, the, the future and the vision, what, what, what is, what is my, my will, my kingdom come, my will be done. Look, it's already set and it's already happening. And, and listen, I have a church in order to fulfill what's already happening in heaven. Not the church is, is trying to look for a God that can fulfill their best hope and dreams. But uh, Lord, what are, what, what's the reality in the place that you dwell in all of your holiness and glory? All right, Lord, as you told your disciples, we will pray that that reality comes right here, right now, in every little corner that we're in. And what we see in, um, in Scripture... Anyone else sweating, or is it just me? <laughs> what we see in Scripture, right? And this is really what I want to dig into this morning. What we see in Scripture is that is that this, um, like this, is not just a spiritual reality. Okay. Um, Christians often, myself included, um, we often tend to compartmentalize areas of life as being the church's business and not the church's business. All right? Like we create really clean boxes, right? And everything that's spiritual in nature, whatever that means, is the church's business. Right? But if there are things that are physical in nature... If there are things that are emotional in nature, if there are things that are mental in nature, then um, those are best served by like social service agencies or nonprofits or schools or people who are you know educated in that line of work. And while I am not going to make any argument against the the um, the benefit and the tremendous ability that organizations like that has to address um, significant problems. We, listen, we are, we are way missing the mark if we think that the church only runs in spiritual circles. If we only exist in the spiritual, com the spiritual compartment of life as if Jesus never healed someone's physical ailment or fed them, Right? as if Scripture has nothing to say about the deeply spiritual component of clothing those that are naked, visiting those who are imprisoned, 
feeding those who are hungry, giving a drink to those who are thirsty. These are not metaphors for spiritual realities. These are metaphors for, they're not metaphors at all. They're actually real. Like, you see, when Jesus said, um, feed those who are hungry, clothe those who are naked, give a drink to those who are thirsty, I tend to think that he actually meant feed those that are hungry. And, and give a drink to those who are thirsty and clothe those that are naked. And that's not somehow less of a spiritual venture than offering someone the forgiveness of grace in Jesus Christ. You see, we human beings were created not as just only spiritual beings or only physical beings or only emotional beings. We were created as whole beings. Where, where, where spirit and body, where mind are, are in, in, intricately and intimately connected with each other in mysterious ways that not even you and I fully understand. In Genesis chapter 2, when God was forming the first man, Adam, it says he, he took the dust of the earth, and formed the, the, the body, right? The image of the man, right? This kind of like, you get this idea of this physical reality. But then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, let's look and see what it says. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became living. The word breath there is the word ruach, which means spirit. The Hebrew word meaning spirit, right? And so God took what was physical and, and imparted, inserted into it that which was spiritual, and life happened. And life is not just the compartmentalization of, well, there's things that are spiritual, and there's things that are physical, mental, emotional, and the two never should meet, right? But in a deeply intertwined being. And I've, I've never, I've never uh, in all my years, um, ever met anyone who believes that we, as the church, are not to do the spiritual things, not to address the spiritual concerns or realities of our homes, our churches, our cities. Um, but sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, the question comes up, and it doesn't ever really come up very, um, like, disappointed. It comes up in different ways, Right? Um, there's like usually more like passive-aggressive questions about it than this, but, but the question really at the end of the day is, is the church called to address the needs of the current world that aren't necessarily spiritual? Like, does, does the church, is the church called to address the needs of the non-heavenly current reality that seems outside the spiritual world. Things like hunger. Things like poverty. Things like mental illness or addiction or imprisonment or inequality. Are these things that, that the church is called to address? Is this something that the gospel has something to say about? Is this, is this something that, that an organization that believes that Jesus is everything and the gospel changes it all, is, are, are these things that the church should be concerned with, be involved in? They're not, they're not explicitly spiritual. They're not explicitly spiritual. But they are the reality of life everywhere we look. Everywhere we turn. I'm sure you all have experiences or know people who have experiences, are living in some of the, these realities, who are, who are struggling with some of these realities, who are, who are in bondage to some of these realities. Um, and so the question is, um, is it a game the church plays or not? Or, or do we stay here and, um, and just learn the spiritual things about life? Is that, is that all, is that, is that the, like the finish line of where God has called the church, right? Is that the, is that the finish line of the prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think people are hungry in heaven? 
Think people are poor in heaven? You think they're sick or in bondage? Do you think there's any inequality? Right? Do you think there's any any loneliness? Do you think there's there's any disease? You know, do, do, do you think those realities exist in heaven? Right? They don't exist in heaven, right? And so if we are to take the prayer of the Lord seriously when he tells his disciples, pray like this, then we gotta take these things seriously, do don't we? I mean, am I missing it? All right, so, um, conduit's history. Um, I'm going to take a drink of water for this one. (laughs) Conduit's history. All right, um, you may know, you may not know. Conduit has a... um, has a long history and reputation of a church that seeks to address a lot of these things. It has a reputation of a a church that does things. Okay? Um, And sometimes those things are like really big. And sometimes they're on a smaller scale and you might not even know about them. You might not see them, you might not have heard about them, but in general we have conduit, Conduit's early identity in life and even up uh, somewhat into the present has been a church that has believed that some of these areas, like they're not out of bounds for the church and we really should be working to address things like hunger and poverty and inequality and um, imprisonment and, and all, all, all of this stuff, right? Um, and, um, and, 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 and being a church that does those things and, and is all about those things and has an identity as doing all those things is an okay thing. All right? You need to hear. That's an okay thing to be. That's an okay identity to have. The caveat there, two caveats, right? One we're going to talk about now. The first caveat is that it's okay to be that way as long as we know why we are that way. Okay? The second thing we'll talk about in a, in a, in a minute is that it's okay to be that way, but balance is good. Right? And understand that just because we're like, we're, we're, we have a, a, a passion to address things like hunger and poverty and all of these things that we had listed up up there, that, that balance is good, right? And, and we must not neglect also the spiritual things that we were over here bagging on just a second ago, right? Like, we, we, can't, we can't get out of balance there, right? Because one informs the other. And that's why I say that it's it's okay to be that way historically as long as we know why we are that way. And the reason that we are that way is because of the example of Jesus and the command of Scripture. See, we are not that way. Conduit does not, um, does not like seek really strong, even big or um, influential or I don't know what they're even trendy or whatever missional opportunities. Listen, don't be offended, all right? We don't do those things for your personal spiritual fulfillment. We don't offer opportunities to serve. For instance, we didn't do the Thanksgiving serve back in November so that um, you all would have a, a place to donate and give or come and serve and then leave and feel good. Um, I, please don't take offense to that. Um, I know that some of you did come and serve and give and like have a great time and feel like, wow, like that was really powerful and I really learned about my, a lot about myself and about the Lord and I think that is awesome, right? But personal fulfillment is not the goal Personal fulfillment is the byproduct of when we do the things that Jesus did, 
and do the things that the word commands, right? The Spirit of God encourages us for being aligned with his heart, right? And so we don't, we don't create serving opportunities so that you all feel you can sleep well at night, although I hope you all do. And I hope you do all take the opportunity to serve and be fulfilled in that way. But understand, right, the small difference between being, it's not so that you feel good about yourself. Okay? Because eventually, you'll serve, and it'll be really hard. And it'll be super messy. And not everything will go exactly how you envisioned it. Right? And, and people might not be very grateful. They might actually be mean. Right? And, and so if, if we walk into it thinking that our identity in being missional is so that we would all walk away feeling like, man, we really, like, yeah, go us. Right? That, that might work for one event. It might work for two events. But eventually it won't work anymore. Right? And we'll be left holding the pieces of what our expectations were for why we do what we do. And so it's important for us to understand why we do what we do. All right? We do what we do, number one, because Jesus, this is what Jesus taught. Jesus taught it. All right? Jesus taught that our vision for kingdom living is more than just a spiritual reality. Jesus taught that the vision for kingdom living reality is more, or kingdom living is more than just a spiritual reality. Um, he taught it, right? Jesus taught primarily in what form, you know? Someone impressed me with how smart you are. Parables! Yes, okay, thank you. Jesus fought, um, taught mostly in parables, right? And this one parable that he taught with is Matt, from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through, oh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, 31 through 46 is the parable of the sheep and the goats, he calls it, right? So um, let's, we're going to read this parable. I'm going to go through it really quick, right? So, um, we do what we do because Jesus taught it. Jesus taught that our vision for kingdom living is more than just a spiritual reality. Right? When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All right? And all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So it's like, hey, you guys over here. You guys are lucky today. You're the, you're the sheep. You guys over here. Um, the Son of Man comes, sits on the throne, heavenly glory, Right? The end of the end, end of end of times, and he was like, um, "You, who are blessed by my Father, come and take your inheritance. Take the thing that is due you." Right, verse thirty-five. For I, Jesus, was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. And you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and, and feed you? When did, we, when did we see you thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you. And he replied, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, sorry goats, depart from me, you who are cursed, 
into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least, least, uh, for one of, the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Right? Jesus taught Jesus taught this principle, right? That, um, that, that kingdom living is not just about addressing the very obvious spiritual needs of those among us, but that, but that a component, right? Listen, a component of the hour of judgment will be how we ministered to the physical needs of the least of those around us. That's some heavy stuff. That's some stuff that we should not forget. That's something that should keep us up at night. Being like, man, my, I ain't living right. <laughs> that, that should keep us up at night. So Jesus taught it, right? But he didn't just teach it. He also exemplified it. Right? Jesus exemplified it. In Matthew chapter 14, right? In Matthew chapter 14... Um, just one account of the feeding of the 5,000. When, uh, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. I'm Matthew 14, verse 14 right now. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Listen, <laughs> listen to this, all right? As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and uh, it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and get themselves some food. The disciples were like, ah, oh, Jesus, we're approaching a problem. Big crowd, it's going to require a lot of food. If we just dismiss a little early, we might not have to feed all of them. Just saying. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You feed them. You give them something to eat. Make it happen, disciples. You get it done. Oh, uh, uh, we only have five loaves and two small fish. How can we, oh, this whole problem, right? And Jesus is like, hey, bring to me all that you have, right? And all that you have being offered to me will be more than enough to meet the need no matter how big. Basically. Right? Bring to me all that you have. Bring to me all your gifts. Bring to me all your resources. Bring to me all your talents. Bring to me all your skill. You give me whatever it is that you have. It doesn't matter how small you think it is. It doesn't matter how insufficient for the need at hand you believe it to be. Anything placed in my hands is more than enough to meet the need no matter how big. No matter how big the, um, the, um, the, the addiction problem, the problem with... Um, mental illness, no matter how big the problem of food deserts in Chautauqua County, no matter how big the poverty issue, um, no matter how uh, much inequality there is, no matter, no matter how, like what the rate of recidivism or, uh, or re-offense for, for people who are in and out of jail is, no, no matter what the rate, no matter what the problem, no matter how big the mountain, right, um, the, 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 the issue is not how big the problem is. The issue is, will you offer to me the small things that you have 
so that together, right, what you have given to me can address the problem. That's the issue. Right. So Jesus taught it. Jesus exemplified it. And in case Jesus' words were not enough for you, we'll look at one more um, place where the Bible comments on it in the, the book of James. Chapter 2. Verse 14. Can we run in the environment of the spiritual realities, right? Running with Jesus. Walking with Jesus. Doing great, right? And not run in the reality of like the current world that we live in, right? Can, can, can the two come together? Well, According to James, not very successfully, right? If we keep them separate, they don't, like, it doesn't work in Jesus' mind. Like, that's not how it works, James says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose that a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. Or um, the current Christian answer would be, I'm praying for you, man. Hope you get something to eat. I'm praying for, I'll pray for you, right? Praying for you, praying for you, bro. God's got this, right? Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? J James goes so far as to basically say, don't spiritually cliche yourself out of the responsibility to feed people and clothe them when they are hungry and naked. No, no, no trendy Instagram posts, right? No... No, no spiritual tagline, no hashtag Jesus life, right? Praying for you, bro. You got this, right? Hope it doesn't get too cold. Doesn't work that way, right? Stop it. In the same way, faith by itself Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead. It has no life. A faith unaccompanied by action has no life. It is dead. Now, like I said before, we need to have a call to balance, right? Doing is good and important. Jesus taught it. Jesus exemplified it. The Bible comments on it, right? right? Doing is important, but why do we do? We do because there are spiritual realities at hand, right? That our Lord and Savior, right, who has bought us by his blood, whom we trust in uh, by the grace and through faith for the forgiveness of our sins, right? And our eternal destiny, like spiritual realities, like, right? We have become disciples of Jesus and we are following him and we are modeling our lives after him and the things that he taught we are learning and the things that he exemplified we're doing as well and and uh, the spiritual realities that we see throughout Scripture, we're asking the Spirit of the Lord to you know, plant those deep in our lives as well so that we continue to like, walk in holiness and become more and more like Jesus every day and be filled with the Spirit and all of these great spiritual things over here, of course. Like, we 
are not just like people who are to do things all the time. Because um, a fair criticism of our history here is that we have been so focused on doing that we have neglected the work of being. We have neglected the work of being disciples of Jesus, of pursuing holiness in relationship with Him, of having a, a, a deeper understanding, a deeper relationship with, the, with the, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, right? Which then informs the work that we do. Okay? So it is absolutely necessary for us to maintain balance. And there are seasons of life where that balance looks a little weighted in one direction or another out of necessity, by accident, or intentionality, or just because. But it's very important. I'm going to leave us with this, okay? Um, so, a few years ago, um, as part of the vision that was developed, and that vision was the very first thing that we saw. Can you bring up that first slide again? Um, as part of the vision of what, we, um, of what we saw, to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, churches, and cities, healing and restoration in families, a unified awakening in the body of Christ, socioeconomic revival, release from the bondage of mental illness and substance abuse, the peace of Christ to reign over hostility and violence. We understood these to be heavenly realities, but we also understood them to be so broad and so general that it was going to be kind of hard to put our feet down on something practically, right? We actually wanted to do something about it, right, in the life of the church. And so we began to kind of parse out of those things where we believed over the next um, half a decade, right, seven years, I don't know, how about forever, could work towards um, being the activators of heavenly reality here on earth. And so we created uh, essentially um, eight more specific, um, I guess you would say targets for work and being and doing and ministry that will be part of Conduit's life, culture, its cycle of ministry. Some of these are, um, some of these are focused inward, meaning in trying to maintain the balance, we want to ensure that we are consistently creating um, healthy disciples of Jesus Christ, Right? growing in the image and likeness of Jesus. Some of these are necessarily outwardly focused, meaning that we're going to do the things that Jesus taught, do the things that Jesus exemplified, do the things that the Bible commands, outwardly focused, and some are kind of like a mix of both. Okay? So, you've heard these before, or maybe you've heard these before, or maybe you haven't, but I'm going to go through them. Um, in no way am I going to do a good job at this. All right? Um, because we don't have time. Um, I don't wear a watch, so I don't know why I just checked it. But um, uh, <laughs> um, I don't even know what time it is, so we may be way over, but it's 11.30. We're way over, all right? So um, we're going to go through these fairly quickly, right? But um, understand that, 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 that these are things that we intend to be part of the life and ministry of Conduit for um, years, 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 years to come until... God says, uh, no, different direction, move, or no, or yes, or whatever, okay? First, things that we're going to be, like, inwardly focused over here, all right? Um, uh, probably coming sometime in 2020 will be the start of um, a formalized marriage ministry here um, at the church. And um, that is not in, in any way to um, exclude those who aren't married, um, or aren't married anymore, or who don't know if they're going to be married, or um, any of that. It's in no way to exclude anyone, of course, but the reality is is that most of our families here are married, 
And um, so we have recognized the necessity of supporting um, the building of healthy marriages and healthy relationships between husband and wife because those relationships pour down into, um, into children um, and create generational faithfulness. Can I have the slide up that says in, please? Um, so uh, a marriage ministry. We also have the, uh, this is sort of like inside the church, right? In the church. A marriage ministry. Uh, the reduction of the unemployment rate here. Um, this is a way in which we hope to begin to turn the tide of socioeconomic depression in Chautauqua and Cattaraugus County and in the areas by um, working to ensure um, that every man, woman, adult who is able to, um, and who, is, who is able and willing to have a job to um, provide for themselves or their family has a place of employment. That doesn't mean that you're all going to work at Conduit, right? Um, trust me, you don't want that. Uh, um, that doesn't mean you're all going to work at Conduit, but that means creating, uh, creating networks, right, of um, job opportunities. Also uh, have in mind maybe some, um, some classes for skilled labor, um, some opportunities for people to get increased training um, so that they become more employable and can um, better provide for themselves. And then to develop a general culture uh, of giving and uh, generosity. Um, this is, in the history of Conduit, also been uh, quite a significant problem that, um, that we have lots of vision and ideas, um, but very little funding for them. And so, um, uh, you know, the, the, majority of the, the majority of ministry that is experienced at Conduit is funded by a very small percentage um, of those of us who worship here on a regular basis. So to developing more of an understanding of what it means to um, support and give generously, not just to the church, but in general as well. All right, so that's in, now out. Um, we have uh, the reduction, the geographical reduction of food deserts in Chautauqua County. Now a food desert is a geographical area where um, it's, where, where those living within that area have no reasonable access to fresh fruits, vegetables, or whole foods. Meaning they may not have, they may not have any place to shop for their food other than 7-Eleven or the neighborhood, or, or Quickville, right? Um, it's, these are typically areas where um, people don't have, they, they walk everywhere, right? Um, and it has uh, created both a, a long list of health issues, both in their lives, but also in the lives of their children. Um, but also, if you know, if you go and buy a banana at Quickfill, right, you can buy one banana at Quickfill for what you can buy a bunch of bananas at Aldi's for, right? Um, and so it really drains the ability of a family to provide those really like nutritious foods to their family when they can't get there what we can get when we drive in our car, right, over to Lakewood and shop for the best deal at Aldi's, Wegmans, Walmart, wherever we want to, right? Um, so the, the elimination of food deserts, um, the building of bridges to the Hispanic community in Chautauqua County, both in Dunkirk and in Jamestown, there um, is a a really significant divide, um, both socially but also spiritually, between the, um, the Hispanic population and I guess what, what we just call like the, the Caucasian or white um, population. And uh, so much so that there has, there's very little opportunity for um, Hispanics who come to Chautauqua County to worship together. Um, to gather in community, um, to be a part of the overall community of the uh, all overall culture of the community. Uh, the third is to 
uh, a post-incarceration program. The rate of, I'm going to use a fancy word, um, the rate of recidivism, anyone know that word? Who doesn't know that word? Okay, so recidivism is like the um, tendency for a person who has offended once to re-offend within a certain amount of time and be put back in jail. Right? So like once a criminal, always a criminal type of thing. Okay? Uh, and what we find is that, or what the, the national figures are true, even here in Chautauqua County, is that recidiv the recidivism rate runs at about 75%. Which means if you go to jail, there's a 75% chance that after you get out, you're going to do something to go back. Right? And that's not just because, well, people are bad and they need to stop doing bad things. Right? Um, this is a hope problem. This is a um, connection problem. Uh, this is a, a, a serious place where the church can have a voice to bring hope into the life of a person who feels like they have no hope even when they get out. Like, well, I don't got nothing to go back to. I don't have people who support me, who love me. I don't have good habits. I don't have good... Um, I don't have good like places to spend my time, right? I don't have tools, I don't have resources, I don't have job, I don't have any skills, right? So of course, what am I gonna do? What I've always done, right? And to think that um, just, well, everyone who um, is in jail is in jail because they wanted to be there and they chose that life, and well, we can have that argument all, we can have that argument a lot, but what we also can do is uh, we can reach out with a message that um, listen, if you don't want that life anymore, Jesus has a new reality for you. Jesus has a new life for you. And you don't have to live that way any longer. You don't have to walk that path anymore. And we will walk it with you. And we will help you. And we will do all that we can to resource you and to network you and to pray for you and to be like your biggest cheerleader everywhere you go in all the things that you do. So head of a post-release program. And both. Both happens inside the church and outside the church. Um, uh, general strategy for dealing with the um, horrific rates of mental illness and substance abuse in Chautauqua County. And to also, uh, we have a vision here at Conduit to plant other churches. So that we wouldn't, Conduit wouldn't just keep getting by God's grace, bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until we had a room of a thousand people. But maybe we have five rooms all over the city, all over the county, of 200 people instead. So that instead of becoming just one big place, right, we take what God is doing here, the hope of what God can do uh, to other places, right, and be a, a witness and a light and a mover in, in that community as well. Um, so, vision, to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, churches, and city. Listen to this, this is what I'm going to leave you with. The church and Christians should be the activators of heaven's reality here on earth. Because Jesus taught it. Jesus exemplified it, and the Bible commands it. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I, I thank you, Father, for endurance to get through all of that. And Lord, although um, there was a just bunch of stuff right there, Lord, I pray, um, Lord, that it would take root in this place. Lord, that it would be um, Father, we just want to hear your voice. Lord, we want to do the things that Jesus did. We want to learn the lessons that Jesus taught. We want to be faithful to um, your design and your vision, Lord, both for the church, but also for our homes, for this city, 
Lord, I pray that you would give us a fresh and clear picture, a vision, Lord, of what it would actually look like if your kingdom come and your will be done in Jamestown as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.